You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Clint Wright. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday's service now. Well, please be seated and good morning, church. It's great to always see familiar faces and always new ones. Uh, My name's Mark. I'm one of the leaders here at the White House campus, and I've got a problem this morning. There's a thing called um, preaching shape, and I'm feeling a little out of shape with this. It's been a while since I've had the privilege to uh, preach, so I'm thankful to Clint for the invitation to do so. And we're going to pick right back up in the Gospel of Mark. So in your Bibles, on your devices, find Mark chapter 4 this morning. And I want to remind us the overall purpose of why Mark is writing this book. And it's really weird to preach about somebody. I'm saying my name a lot. So uh, that seems a little strange. So the gospel writer, he's got a unique purpose, as all of them do. And his purpose is in chapter 1, verse 15, where he says this, and it's saying that the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And that is why Mark is writing this gospel because Clint has showed us he puts things in a certain order and we are really going to see this today. But remember those two things about God's kingdom. It's two things. The time is now. It's talking about the moment that God the Father set in place that he would come and set his sovereign rule over the world. And he did it through his redemptive plan of sending the Messiah. So it's God's sovereign rule over the world, but it's also a person. It's Jesus Christ that he wants to unveil to his readers. Also that people would repent and believe. And that is why Mark is writing this letter so many years ago. And so today we're going to hopefully get through the entire fourth chapter. We're going to see four parables And then we're going to see Jesus do something that's going to display his authority. And what is interesting is we're going to see this first parable. It's one I've heard, I think, my entire life, probably way back in vacation Bible school. It's the parable of the soils. But it wasn't until the last couple of weeks of reading it the way Mark lays it out and the way he orders things that I've seen something that I think I have been seeing that parable incomplete almost my entire life. Until this week, and I want to share this with you. But here's the thing. I want you to hopefully walk away knowing two things, remembering two things this morning. Here's the first one. That even though the war is won, the battles, they still continue. And so let me illustrate it this way. Um, Let's say you and maybe your spouse or uh, a sibling, a friend, a coworker, you you, you get into a, a disagreement. You each kind of realize your error and you go to them and they come to you and you both apologize. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do that. I didn't mean to say that. And you apologize to each other. And so then, I don't know, you shake hands, you hug, you kiss, you make up. And at that moment, forgiveness wins. The the battle for that is over. But then what happens is the battles then continue on. Because it doesn't take long, at least in, in my mind, to... Go, man, did they really mean that? Or I I get to thinking, do they really realize 
how they hurt me. And then I get tempted, you know, to share with somebody. You, you won't believe what they did. Or then, maybe not in your house, but in mine, you know, something happens. It's usually me. And another argument comes up. What do you want to do? Do you remember what you did? Or you remember what you said? And so even though the battle, the war has been won, forgiveness was there. Those battles, they still continue on day after day. But here's the second thing. That he'll show us in the very first parable that response to God's word is dependent upon the condition of our hearts. And that's what he's going to lay out today. And we're going to look at parables, and parables can be a little tricky. One of the things we have to remember is that sometimes the reasons are stated, sometimes they're not. We have to be careful what's the saying, do not miss the uh, forest for the trees, is, or did I get it backwards? Don't miss the forest for the trees, that we can get so ingrained in trying to take apart every single detail that we miss the big picture. But the thing about parables they all share is they're going to take something familiar to reveal what is unfamiliar. And that's what we're going to see today. So in your Bibles, let's pick up in verse 1 of Mark chapter 4. It says, again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered around him. So remember who is in this crowd. You have people that are disciples that are truly following Jesus. You have people that are seekers. They're intrigued and they want to know more. You have some that they just want Jesus to fix whatever their problem is. But you also have the skeptics, these people that are hostile towards Jesus. So in these parables, Jesus is going to be doing something with each group. It goes on to say... This crowd was so large that he got into a boat and he set it out in the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teachings, he said to them, farming. Something very familiar that they know. This is what he's about to use. He's about to use an illustration that they all would have understood. But notice how he begins verse 3. He says, listen. Seems like a normal word. We hear it often, but this word is packed with something unique. It isn't just to hear. He, he's not talking about an audible sound. This word means hyper-listening, that it goes beyond just hearing words. It's hearing in a way that affects the heart, and then it promotes action. You know, you tell your child to do something, you know, go clean up your room. Man, they jump up, at least mine always do. Yes, Father, I'd be glad to do that. Would you come and make sure I've done it right? Sometimes, you know, they just sit there. At least not in my house, maybe in yours. They just sit there. And you go, did you hear me? And what we want to know is not did you hear my words, but we're wanting this effect that it promotes action. This is what Jesus is after. So he says, behold, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed some Seed, it fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. When the sun rose, it was scorched, and since there was no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked it, and it yielded no grain. And the other seeds fell into the good soil and it produced grain growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and 
fold. So he's going to use something very familiar to reveal something that isn't. And he uses farming. But in this time, it's very different than maybe what we know. They didn't have these massive fields with these uh, pretty little fences around them with these massive pieces of equipment and irrigation systems. You would have this small plot of land that usually maybe you or you and your son could actually manage. And in this field, you would simply walk maybe down the middle and over time it would develop this hard path. And then you would uh, protect it with uh, your field with shrubs and, and trees and allow the thorns to grow up for protection. You would then simply take the seed and you would scatter it. And then they would take a, a, a stick or some type of tool and then they would plow the land. And this is what everyone understood. But here's another reason that we have to be careful with parables is because sometimes we're going to read things that seem difficult. And notice how Jesus ends it. Because he doesn't explain it at all. He simply gives them this parable. And he says, he who has hear, ears to hear, let him hear. And that's all he says. So he tells this illustration. Everybody is probably wondering, yeah, I, I get it. I mean, I've seen that every day. If you have ears to hear, let him hear. But he doesn't explain it. And when he's alone with those who are around him with the twelve, asked him about the parables. So why does he do that? Why does he not explain? Well, one of the reasons that he is speaking in parables is to do two things. Jesus wants to take these people that are seeking and wanting to know more, that are intrigued, and he wants to draw them in. But everyone that is hostile, that is a skeptic, he wants to alienate and to confuse them. And that's what Jesus is doing. Because notice this next part, and this seems harsh. And he said to them, to you it has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And first of all, no, secret isn't something that can't be known it's something that was hidden that's now being revealed. But to those that are outside, everything is in parables. So that they may indeed see, but not perceive. And may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? So he's doing two things. He wants to draw people in that are interested, intrigued, and he wants to repel those that are coming up against him, his adversaries. And right there he has just quoted Isaiah 6. Because here's what parables do to some. These parables are going to be incredible blessings. He's going to take something familiar and he's going to reveal something that's unfamiliar and they're going to have this aha moment and it's going to be incredible blessings to them. But to others, parables are forms of judgment because of their hardened hearts. Therefore, notice the first parable, the, the pathway soil he reveals. He says, the sower, he's now with the 12, they're in the boat, and he explains it to them. The sower sows the word. So God is the sower, and, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and he takes away the word that is sown in them. So God is the sower. The seed is uh, Jesus Christ. The coming of the kingdom. And it says some fell on the hardened path. God is going to cast the word. The truth of Jesus Christ in the kingdom. But this heart wants nothing to do with him. 
wants nothing to do with the kingdom, wants nothing to do with God. This heart is closed off to him. So what happens? Satan comes and he takes it away. Because this heart does not care and is uninterested in the things of God. Then he gives us another heart, the rocky soil in verse 16. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, they immediately receive it with joy. But they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. So these, this heart hears and there's all this immediate excitement. And it seems like they're responding, but the hope is only short-lived. It's a superficial, it's a shallow heart. And they get excited, there's a lot of enthusiasm, but then all of a sudden life gets hard. Maybe following Jesus, it just becomes too difficult. And this heart's excited at first, but it says that it is short-lived. It's a shallow faith, a shallow heart. But then he gives us a third one, the, the thorny soil. And the others are the ones sown among the thorns. They are these who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter, and they choke the word, and it proves unfaithful. So this heart hears, then all of a sudden... There's the world and they love everything about it. They're too obsessed with cares and riches and the pleasures of the world. They love money and and things and they love comfort and a a host of other things. Their hearts are then drawn away. That truth is taken out. Well, then there's one more soil. He calls it the good soil, this fruitful heart. It says, those who were sown in the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30-fold and 60-fold. In a hundredfold. And this last soul that we read about, the word is cast and it finds a listening heart. Man, it takes root. Even through trials and temptations, man, this seed grows and it produces 60 or 30, 60 and 100 times greater. So I think here's Mark's point. He's trying to show us that response to God's word is dependent upon the condition of our heart. But then I have lots of thoughts and lots of questions. I'm thinking, God doesn't seem like a very good farmer. I mean, he just doesn't. I mean, isn't there, wouldn't there be a much more effect? Why are you wasting seed? I mean, we plant these nice little rows and we take the seed and we plant it in and we're very careful. And God just doesn't seem like a very effective farmer here. We have to remember, first of all, this is how Israel farmed. He's simply using what they know. But then I think we are to see that God plants indiscriminately. That here you have in this boat, you've got Peter, James, and John, the fathers of the first church. But guess who's also in that boat? You have Judas, the one that betrays. But then I've been thinking, well then, what makes a soul good? As far as I know, soul can't do much. How does soil, how does, how does someone, how do we become, how do we make what makes soil good? Why do some people receive God's word and others don't? Well, we might be tempted to think that it's just simply that some people are just better. Or there's something in uh, certain people, something uh, there that makes them unique or special. Or maybe they're just more spiritual. But I can't say that I'm a Christian because I believe the word. And the reason I believe the word is because there's something in me that is good. 
Because if I believe that, I have never received the word of God at all. And we might be tempted to think it's something we did. Man, if you just need to go out, you need to get all those rocks out of there, you need to pull up all those weeds and take down all those thorns. There's this work that we just need to do, and then that makes us good soil. We might be tempted to think that we have to work at it. And if we think that, we have not received the word at all. So then what makes soil good? Well, there's only one thing. It is the supernatural work of God. That is the only thing that makes soil good. Soil is good only because of that supernatural work on the soil by the sower. The hearer is not sovereign. The sower is. And the only people that have ever embraced God's word are those who have first been changed by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes soil good. Well, then, Mark has got a purpose in laying out certain things because uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all have this. But then Mark is going to follow it up with three more parables. And we call these kingdom parables because they all have the same idea. So look at verse 21. And he said to them, as the lamp brought in and put under a basket or under the bed and not on a stand, for nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. Once again, there's the phrase, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. He says, listen. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For the one who has, more will be given. And for the one that has not, even what he has will be taken away. So he's using, once again, something very familiar. They knew exactly what this was like. Before electricity, you would have lamps and you would bring them in. And where would you put it? You would place it where it would be the most illuminating in the house. The lamp was placed exactly where it needed to be placed to shed the most light. But notice, this isn't just any lamp. He's saying Jesus is the lamp and the Father placed him exactly where he needed to be to be the most effective. But this lamp is shown into the hearts of some in this boat. And he says, if you continue to shine that light, more opportunities will be given to you. But they can only shine light that has first been shown into them. Well, then he gives another parable. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man would scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. The earth produces it, first the blade, then the ear, then a full grain of ear. And when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. So once again, he's using something familiar to reveal something unfamiliar. And here's what I see in this. The first point, he wants us to see that the seed is the kingdom of God and he is going to sow it. But it begins small. But it will continue to grow in mysterious ways and even when the disciples or even when we are inattentive or even when we're asleep or we're resting that God is still working even in ways we will never completely understand then he gives the the fourth parable the, the mustard seed and he said with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it it is like a grain 
of mustard seed, which when sown in the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and it becomes larger than all the garden plants and it puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nest in its shade. And many of the parables he spoke the word to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples he explained everything. I think he wants us to see that God's kingdom in every single life, it starts small. But then it continues to grow and do and produce incredible things. Just like in the mustard seed. So here's how I would summarize all of this for myself. I said God is in control of establishing his kingdom even when I cannot fully see it or understand it. He placed that lamp exactly where he wanted him. Those that shine the light that have been shown into them, they continue to shine the light that God is working to establish his kingdom. Even when I'm unattentive and sleeping, God is always working. And even though it starts small in a person's life, it will produce incredible things. Because the response to God's word is dependent upon the condition of our heart. But when I think about that parable, we have to be careful. And this is where I've never seen this before. I think I've been seeing it incomplete. Because every time I would read this, I would read these soils and I would picture people, certain people. And I'd place them in these categories. I might say, okay, the Pharisees, they're the path. They're the ones that really want nothing to do with God. Even though they seem the most spiritual, they want nothing to do with him. Well, some followers are like the rocky soul. Man, they're excited, but there's soon going to become a time where they're not going to follow him anymore. I'd put Judas as the thorny soul. Man, he followed Jesus, but man, he's offered this money, the cares of the world, and he trades it all in. And then the 11 disciples, man, they get to be the good soul. They're the ones following Jesus, giving their life, and they're the good ones. But if that is the only way we see this parable, we're seeing it incomplete because here's where we err at least i have in thinking this that people that are like the path they can never change people that showed excitement at least at first but then faded away they can never come back the people that are consumed with the world that's always how it's going to be but here's the kicker people that are good soil doesn't mean they'll always be good soil because you're thinking of the disciples, I would say, yes, they are absolutely good soul, at least 11 of them. They're good. They're following Jesus. They're giving their lives. They're doing all of these things. And this is why I think Mark places what is next to make this point, to show us something. So after these teachings, on that day, when the evening came, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. The other boats were, boats were with him. And a great wild storm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? So these are people that Jesus has shined his light into their life. They find themselves in a boat. Many of these guys, this is what they did for a living. A storm comes that threatens their life and they start questioning his love and his care for them. 
when the storm threatened their lives, something happens to all the things that Jesus has been teaching them about who he was and why he'd come. And notice what Jesus says to them. And he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And notice what he says to the disciples. Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? They were filled with great fear and he said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And at that point, they don't seem like good soul. Their, their faith doesn't seem to have strong roots to fear. And trials and tribulations, it sure seems to be choking out their faith. So I think Mark is showing us that even those that are trusting in Jesus Christ, the battles for faith still continue. So here's what I want us to hear today from him. Whether you are here Maybe that is you. Maybe you are that pathway soul and you are here, but you still you want nothing to do with God. You're uninterested and you're here for a lot of other reasons. Maybe we'd say, man, I'm that rocky soul. I once heard Jesus' word and man, there was this great excitement in me, but I just don't know where it went anymore. Or maybe the thorny soul. You hear God's words and maybe you're even here each and every week. But then Monday rolls around and Tuesday rolls around and all of a sudden there's this pool from the world that seems to drown out everything that we know is right or should be doing. But maybe you find yourself and maybe you would say, I, I think actually maybe for the first time in my life, I'm actually got some good soul in me that, man, I'm here and I'm interested and I want to know more and I'm reading my Bible more than I should and, and I'm doing all these things and it just seems like it's coming alive for me and maybe that's you. Well, please hear this this morning. No one is good soil on their own. It is only through the supernatural, all-powerful work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Maybe you found yourself in one of the first three. I would want you to hear me say you don't have to remain there. Ask God to do that supernatural work that only He can do in your life. There's not a word I could say that can do that, but He can. But if you find yourself right now, maybe in this season where you say, man, for the first time, I, I think I'm actually a good soul. Praise God for that. Remember, it doesn't mean that you'll always be there. That even though the war is won, the battles still remain. So if you're a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, if you are trusting in him and him alone for salvation, the war for your eternal soul is over. It is already won. It is set in stone. The Holy Spirit is holding your inheritance. But remember, the battles still remain. Just like these 12, all of a sudden they found themselves in another battle. So remember that even though the war is won, the battles still remain. But I also want you to hear me say, notice who is in this boat. No one is in this boat alone. This is something you don't have to do on your own. You have a crowd of people that are wanting and willing and able to be with you through it all. So hear the gospel writers say, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel always 
and forever. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. If you have questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at BethelBible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.